Hey friends, welcome to the Lively Joy podcast. Today's guest is Alexandria Miller, and she has been on the podcast before. It was very emotional podcast. I hope you go back and listen to that one. It's uh, called There's a Reason Why I'm Here. And she talks about her drug addiction and where she's at now. Uh, Her story is out there and she hopes to help others with her books that she's written and her uh, Instagram page that she has. She talks about everything from, you know, where she was to where she is now, having fun and simple things like dressing for yourself instead of for somebody else. She talks about her eating disorders, being present and everything how she's changed her life to become a better person. So I hope you enjoy the podcast. Let's get started. Well, hi, Allie. It's so good to have you back on the podcast. Yes, thank you for having me back. Yeah, so I see you have two new books since the last time we spoke and you were on the podcast. So quite the journey, and I'm really proud of you for that. Thank you. So why don't you tell us a little bit about, you know, just recap on your story, because um, the listeners can always go back and listen to that, which is, you know, really something emotional. Um, And then, you know, tell us a little bit where you're at now. Okay. Yeah. No, for um, just a recap on my like story briefly, um, I was uh, a heroin addict for about eight years. Um, It took me multiple treatment centers, um, took me a lot of different things that I had to understand, um, like that it wasn't just a cookie cutter situation for me that I needed to, you know, address my mental health, I needed to address like all of these root problems and that I couldn't just stop using. So my story like took a lot of twists and turns and all over the place, but I ended up getting sober um, July 25th of 2017, and I've been sober since then um, from all substances. So that is kind of like a recap of like what we talked about prior, um, kind of started getting into, you know, the process of through my sobriety, where that led to me with my writing. Writing has always been a huge outlet and comfort to me writing is like just the place where I've always felt like I could truly be myself I think that for a lot of people I think a lot of people struggle with being able to feel like themselves struggle with identity and especially people who suffer um, from addiction I found that I was turning to drugs and alcohol a lot because I didn't know who I was and I was also afraid of other people finding out who I was because I don't know, I just thought that who I was wasn't wasn't great. I think we got into that a lot in the last podcast where we talked about like being bullied and things like that that kind of generated those core beliefs that I wasn't good enough. And so writing was always the place though that I could go when when I was feeling less than, when I was feeling not good enough, when I was having so many emotions and I didn't know where to put it, I could put it down on paper. And um, that's kind of where my poetry was born. Um, I also like to write stories and stuff like that. I do plan on writing my story one day and turning that into a book. Or a movie. Yeah, it would be really, that's like a dream, you know? I mean, I do sit there and like, you know, daydream about that sometimes, but that is absolutely the dream. Actually, I asked 
we were my boyfriend and I were playing like this game and it was like who would play you in a movie version of you and he said Jennifer Lawrence for me and I thought that was actually a pretty good Very good. Yes. pretty good choice like she has some depth there so I thought that, that was a good choice but yeah I writing for me has always just been that outlet um I know a lot of people like you know music and art and there's just all so many ways of like expressing yourself creatively and that creative energy is a really good way to get out a lot of those like thoughts and get out that like negative energy that I'm having and I'm able to like turn it into something creative and through that experience uh even though sometimes when I've been writing I've been feeling extraordinarily like lonely all sorts of different emotions a lot of my writing has been able to connect me with other people who were like I feel this way too or thank you for putting this into words and I've been able to make friends all over the world That's um great. so crazy it's so cool like to see my book being bought uh in Belgium uh in like just overseas places that I will probably never see in my lifetime I hope so but I mean I'm I'm scared of flying so I uh yeah I'm hoping that one day I'll be able to get over there you know I have dreams of seeing Europe and all of that but if I couldn't be there like me physically at least a part of me Sure. Is I, I didn't want to just like, you know, when I got sober, I got sober at 25. I was already, I felt that I was behind in life. I'll say that for myself personally. I felt like I was behind, um, you know, while other people had graduated from high school and gone to college and such, I was running around um, drinking and drugging. So I felt like, okay, not only do I feel behind, but I'm coming, I'm like stepping out back into life, like back into society with a slew of um, self-esteem issues, confidence issues, all sorts of things. I have friends who, you know, step back in and they have, um, you know, unfortunately like drug felonies, all sorts of things that can help prevent people from feeling like a part of society again, feeling like they belong um, and really feeling like they find their purpose in life. And there are roadblocks. And I'm not saying that that's just a part of it, honestly. Like when you have addiction, you tend to burn your life to the ground. Like that's honestly just a part of it. And I'm over six years sober, still dealing with some of the wreckage of my past. It doesn't just clear off but I talk about this with a lot of people about you know finding that passion is kind of like what started things for me when I got sober I was living in a halfway house and it's not the best feeling you know you are living in a home with a bunch of other people who you don't really know and you know you're trying to acclimate back into society you're trying to build a life from like rock bottom and that's really hard to do I did not know how to like I didn't have a lot of basic life skills I for the first time was like you know given chores and stuff like that <laughs> um I didn't know how to mop a floor I had to google how to mop a floor when I oh my god yeah yeah no I uh I had never mopped a floor and I ended up accidentally mopping the floor with sweet and sour sauce because I didn't realize you're supposed to like empty out the water after someone had used it before. So the entire place was like squish, squish, squish. Oh my so gosh. <laughs> yeah. 
So just like even like basic life skills, like learning how to do your laundry, like just basic stuff that some people know and some people don't know. And so that was all like, uh, you know, a little bit of a shell shock for me. And then having to like humble myself and go out and get a job that maybe I didn't really want, but I needed to find a job. So like when I got sober, I started out working at, at a like a smokehouse for fish. And <laughs> yeah, like they did smoked fish dip. I am not a fish person like that. I mean, I like sushi, but um, just eating it. So that's, uh, it was, it was definitely a humbling experience for me personally. And I, you know, I came home every day with like fish dip under my fingernails, like all sorts of, I always smelled like smoke, like in my hair and everything, but I stuck it out. I put in like, I put it all in, like all my effort in because I was like, okay, like this is not, this is not permanent. This is temporary. All things in life are temporary. And if I look at this situation, like this is how my life is going to be forever. Of course, I'm going to be depressed. Of course, I'm going to be sad because this is not what I wanted to do with my life. I didn't know what I wanted to do, but I didn't want to do that. And, um, so I just like put in, you know, a good work ethic. I just tried to be kind and loving towards all and just kept up. I was, I was working the steps at the time for the first time with my sponsor. So I was trying to apply what I was learning there into my whole life. I worked my way up from being a counter girl to being um, the sales manager at this place. Yeah. And I was going like around the state of Florida um, selling fish dip to like restaurants and grocery stores and you know I wasn't like going door to door or anything like do you want to fish <laughs> but um you know and worked my way up from there and I was able to eventually move out of the halfway house and moved into a home with um somebody who had like 10 years sober and then my best friend who had I think she had about two years sober at the time and I just surrounded myself with people who had sobriety who had um, they had something that I wanted and it wasn't necessarily material things, but they had like the life that I wanted. Like they were sure of themselves. They had friends, they were accountable, like all these good qualities about them. And it didn't hurt that they also like, you know, were able to buy themselves a home and like, you know, do all those things, goals that I also had. And it was actually when I was living there that my friend, she knew I loved to write. And she encouraged me to start an Instagram that I started that is the raw poetry. I started that back in 2018. And at first, like it was, she was like, just post your writing on there. And I'm like, no one's going to read it. Like, why am I doing that? She's like, just do it. And I'm like, all right, what do I have to lose? Like I was writing in the dark for a really long time. Like I would show some friends like stuff here and there, but mostly I was just keeping everything to myself. And in a way I felt like something absolutely was missing. Um, and I always had that dream of writing a book and she knew that. And she was like, well, this is just like a first step. Like just start putting your stuff just out there. Yeah. And um, I did that for years. Like I want to say the first like three years or so, um, I would get like a couple hundred followers or something like that. People would comment a little bit. I got like a little bit of interaction, but it wasn't much. And honestly, I didn't think too much on it at the time. Like it wasn't, 
I didn't really know what I was working towards. I did have other friends though that were encouraging me to write a book and I was like, I don't know how to do that. Like, this is crazy. You all are expecting way too much from me. Like, I don't know. I was just like, I don't know. That was when I started, for me, I started like becoming very spiritual, like through the, through the steps. Um, I developed a greater relationship with um, my spiritual, what I call God, you know, that I started going to church and things like that. And I started really praying about writing this book. I'm like, all right, like, if that's what I'm supposed to do, like, help me do this. So I, I ended up just starting to like, put in a document form like I was just putting poems here and there still working on my poetry at that point I had got a different job I was working for a logistics company just working in corporate just kind of I'm really good with uh clerical work so I was like you know this is a good way to make a living but it wasn't like my dream job or anything but I was content and my life was getting better, you know, like by working the steps and everything, like I was getting my relationships back with my family, like I was able to hold down my job, I was developed, I was entering into a long term relationship, I had other friends, like, life was actually getting not so bad. Of course, it had, you know, it's trials and tribulations. And I still had my mental health issues, which were always a struggle for me. I went on and off medication my whole life. And I went to, I went to therapy. I read books. I tried a lot of different things throughout the years. It manifested in me in different ways. I would definitely say that I've always had depression and anxiety, but it definitely like switched from being my being active in a drug addiction to having an eating disorder. And I kind of fell really into that for a long time. You know, for a while, it was more like, I would say that food was always like my first addiction. Food was like my first friend and my first way to control my emotions. And it's something that I've never unlearned. Even though things were going really well for me, I always struggled with, at that time, I was really struggling with knowing um, when to stop eating for me that I always struggled with that. Um, I didn't have a lot of motivation in the way of working out. I, you know, I was with somebody who could basically, he was lucky and he could eat whatever he wanted and not have it affect him. <laughs> and I would try to eat what he would eat. And I'd be like, I think we need to eat healthy. And he'd come back home with like spinach artichoke dip. And I was like, that is <laughs> not... <laughs> that's not it so I was kind of just like eating whatever but I was becoming like increasingly unhappy with my body you know still writing and that was able that was a way for me to express how I was feeling about my body around that time I would say that that was when I started really seeing it was about when COVID happened that was more when I think everybody was like going online too, you know, like right. we couldn't believe. So we were all going online and we were, that's when I really saw like my poetry, like account take off. Like it went from having hundreds of followers to thousands. And yeah, it was really cool. I was really getting a lot of like interactions with people. Um, I made, I made like some really cool friends, like, 
over in like England and Canada and all over the place. And that was really, really cool. And that was helpful to not feel so alone during a very lonely time, I think, for all of us. And during that time, I'm sorry, my dog is like itching his leg. That's what that noise is. Um, But I think during that time, a lot of people that struggled with addiction or mental health problems, like, you know, that was when a lot of us really suffered because there wasn't an outlet. We weren't going to meetings in person anymore. They closed those down. They had them on Zoom and there was one place where fortunately they had it outside. So I was going to an outside meeting um, at this park for a long time. I think it's still there sometimes, but it was super popular during COVID because we would all just like sit far away from each other. And so at least we had that during that time, emotions ran really high for everybody. I think there was just a lot of disconnect and that definitely manifested for me in my eating disorder becoming a lot more active. And unfortunately, like that was one of the things like that was a, it wasn't like a, it was a setback, but, you know, I didn't get high over it because that's the thing is like <clears throat> in sobriety, you're going to have days where you're depressed. You're going to go through some really hard stuff in life. But for me, it's like picking up has never been an option again. Like that's just never where I want to go again because I understand I might have this problem. Right. And I'm like, having a lot of stress and depression and anxiety over this problem, like this problem is consuming my life. But if I add this other like thing to it, that is, I I know the truth about myself. Like I know the facts about myself. I know where my addiction takes me. And if I just add that to whatever emotions I'm experiencing that I don't want to experience, I'm going to experience a million more emotions that I don't want to experience. I'm going to experience a million more lows. And that's if I survive because that's the truth about today is it's not the things out there are not the same as what it was when I started. I started using uh, opiates in 2010. It's not the same thing anymore. Um, Unfortunately, most of what 99% of what out there, what is out there is all fentanyl and um, it's very deadly, much more deadly than heroin ever was. Um, You just, you know, I'd like I, I, I work in the treatment field now and the people that I see coming in, nobody's on heroin anymore. It is all fentanyl and it's scary. It's very scary. And I think that that was for me, at least a good kind of like final thing for me of like knowing like, Hey, if I ever made that terrible decision to go back out, like I know without a doubt what waits for me. So I don't want to do that. Um, That desire has been removed from me, thank God. Um, And it used to be such an obsession for me. Like before I really like got sober and worked the steps, like I would sit around and it would be like, I would be like grabbing onto my bed being like, oh my God, I hope I don't use, like, please don't let me use today. Like, I don't want to get high. Like, I don't want to destroy my life, even though I know like, okay, I have a problem that's making me uncomfortable, or maybe I don't even have a problem at all. Maybe it's just a beautiful Tuesday afternoon and I just want to get high. And I would just like, be like, please do not let me get high. Like, and every time I would do it, even though I didn't want to do it, because that's just like that obsession that takes over. And It just, once it started for me, once I put a substance into my body, like no human power can stop me 
from like getting high again. Like I have to have some sort of like almost like divine intervention that steps in that like prevents me, whether that's being physically stopped from using like going to treatment or jail for some people or whatever it is. But, you know, usually like I was not able to stop on my own um, at all. So knowing all of those things, like, yes, I was able to thank God not go back out, but my eating disorder did get very bad during um, the COVID times. Mm. So, but during all of that, I still had writing. And that was the beautiful thing was like, okay, like I have all of these emotions and things that I'm going through. And, um, you know, my relationships were greatly suffering. Um, you know, people had differing views on things. And it was, I think a lot of families were kind of torn apart over what was going on and uh, friendships and all stuff like that. But I had writing and um, so I continued to write. Everybody always just told me, just write, just keep writing, just keep writing, just keep writing. So um, that was where that fir first book was born, was like in 2021 or 22. It was like during those years of my eating disorder being active, I was in a very toxic, my relationship became extremely toxic and um, very harmful to me. Um, and I really felt like I had nobody for a long time. I was very isolated. We moved out um, to a place on the island and it was about eh, 20, 25 minutes away from all of my friends, all of my meetings, all of my stuff. Yeah. So I felt very alone. Um, I did get the other love of my life, my dog, well, well during COVID. And, um, yeah, this dog has saved my life in so many ways. Um, he's an amazing dog. But so I did have Ace, but I felt very alone. Um, but I had, I had my sobriety still, thank God. I had some friends, I had my sponsor, and I had my faith. And um, I, I published my first book raw and I was overwhelmed by the support that I got for that um, online, in person, like people I knew in real life. Like I didn't think I could do it, you know, until one morning I just woke up and I realized I have everything I need to do this. I have thousands and thousands of writings. I just need to put it into a way that I want to put it and have my message put out there. And raw was really about just being able to be authentic for the first time, like as myself and not be afraid of people seeing me for who I was, whether, and that's not perfect. I think I've always wanted to, so I think we've talked about this before too, but everyone wants to portray this like perfect image of themselves to the world, including right. myself. I don't want anyone to know that like, I don't like myself sometimes or, you know, that when I'm struggling, like that's something that I've always struggled with showing and being okay with being like, I'm not perfect. And like, I've been all different weights and all different sizes and, you know, all different forms of like aspects of life. I've been all over the place, but 
this is me. And that was that book raw was the first place where I was able to be like, this is me. And that's okay. And like, it's okay for me to be my authentic self. It's okay for you to be our, your authentic self. Like that was the goal of that book. And I feel like I met that honestly, because like the way that it was received by people, like I felt seen and I felt heard and I felt like my words were making a difference in somebody's life out there. And even if it was just mine, but like it was, it was doing something. And so I kept writing and I kept getting more momentum. Like I surpassed having 10,000 followers on Instagram. And I was like, okay, like maybe this could actually be something. Maybe these like things that dreams that I thought were like pointless, maybe it could actually be something. And I wanted to give that hope to other people that your dreams, like they mean something. They're not for no, they're not like just for nothing. And I used to believe that when I was using and getting high, I was like, what is the point of dreams? Like, this is all that I will ever be. But it's just not true. And so I was selling myself on a lie at the time. And then I was able to finally years later, like show myself that like, I can do it, right? Like I am worthy. And um so after publishing that book, a lot of things transpired in my life. I ended up moving back into like the city where all my meetings were, all my friends were. I was being less isolated. Right beforehand, I had gone on a cruise and I had gotten really, really sick because my body at that point wasn't healthy. My body was trying to tell me like, something is wrong. You need to pay attention to this you need to like treat me better. It was at that point I had my friends came to me and they were like, we're really worried about you. You know, like we really want you to be healthy. And it took me a minute to come around to it, but I was um, able to receive that message that was, was just of love. You know, that message message was of love. And I'm blessed today to have friends that are able to, to tell me when I'm like, you know, a, that I'm not okay. You know, back when I was using and I had my using buddies, no one cared. You know what I mean? Like, you know, no one was like, hey, you're, you're harming your body. No, we're all harming our body. No one cares. But I have friends that actually give like, that they they care when, when I'm hurting. Um, and they could see that I was declining and I was declining pretty, I declined over to the span of like two years where my body was just not, not doing well. And um, I was able to receive that message and I saw it more outside help because sometimes that's what it takes. Um, and I was able to get with a nutritionalist and talk to them about some of my goals and talk about my relationship with food because my relationship with food has never been good. Never been good. I needed to view food as a life source as healthy as energy and not as like the enemy or something or either an enemy or like a best friend like it was either on either end of the spectrum so I realized that I needed to do that and we moved back over into the city and you know I was still writing I was promoting my book that was the other thing that I never realized is when you write a book you are becoming a self-promoter as well um 
So you are getting into marketing, whether you like it or not. And um, thankfully, I have some very gifted friends that lent some of their talents to me. Um, I had friends help me with merchandise. I have one of my very close friends who designed my cover for a couple books of mine, did photographs, like did so many things to help me. Like I had friends edit my book, like for all for free, like incredible people. And it takes a village. That's another thing I have learned in my life is it all just takes a village. No matter what you're trying to raise a child, you're trying to get sober, like write a book it takes more than one person. Like I can't do things alone. Um, and we're just so much better together. So during that time, that was really, that theme also really came true for me. Uh, I came on to talk about uh, the women I've been before we talked about that book. That book I wrote during a very hard chapter in my life. Uh, I thought, I always thought that getting sober was going to be like the biggest hurdle for me to overcome. But I think that we're given multiple like huge challenges in our lifetimes. And for me, I was in a relationship with someone for, for four years. And, you know, you put in a lot of work into that. And even when things aren't perfect, you have hopes that you guys are going to be able to work things out. You know, we just weren't. It ended pretty, pretty badly. I ended up losing a child in the experience and that, and I found out about infidelity, all sorts of things. My grandmother died all like within the same week and um, I was very close with her. And when I went home for the funeral, um, he didn't come with me. Uh, a friend of mine actually flew up to be with me because those are the kind of people that are in my life today, like really good people. She flew up and she was going to drive back down from Ohio to Florida with me. And while we were driving back, I did not know it was coming after some very traumatic things had happened. And um, yeah, I don't, I wrote that book because I didn't know what else to do. You know, like I had writing, I had my faith, I had my friends, I had somebody who came to my house and cleaned my house for me because he left it a pigsty. Um, and, uh, you know, had had another woman in my house and stuff. But it's the women that were in my life. And they loved me when I couldn't love myself at that time. I didn't know how to even pick myself up. I didn't know that being a mother was something that I really wanted until it was taken away from me. And I have, I have really struggled with that. Um, and I think that, you know, I, I, I really didn't, I never saw myself as a mom and um, I never knew that that was something that I really wanted. And I know that it'll happen when it's supposed to. So I have like some peace in that. And, you know, I, I do believe that my child is with my grandmother and that they're okay. And uh, cause I don't think it's a coincidence. They went in the same 24 hours. And I think that like, they are watching out for me. They are my, they're my butterflies. So I wrote this book because I was laying on my couch. I couldn't even sleep in my bed because I knew he had had another woman in there. And I was like, how do I, how do I go? Like, where do I go from here? Like, 
like I was very angry also because I was like I kept my part of the bargain like I stayed sober (laughs) what the heck (laughs) so you know but just because I got sober doesn't mean that I'm you know now all of a sudden like void of all of these other like life things that can happen I spent three days on my couch trying to figure out whether or not I wanted to, if I wanted to live. (laughs) And after those three days, I got up, I got dressed for the first time in three days and did my makeup, even though I wasn't going anywhere. And I was like, but that was like my way of saying like, I'm staying, I'm fighting for this life that I have fought like for at that point, I was one month shy of being five years clean And I was like, I'm not giving up because no one has the power to make me feel like inferior without my consent, right? So I was like, no, (laughs) like I'm not doing this. So I wrote because that was like my outlet and that was my way of getting all the pain out into words. And through that, that second book I was able to publish. And it was about all the versions of myself that I had been up to that point. Um, It was very quick after all of that came out. And I think I needed like a task, (laughs) honestly, (laughs) while I was going through so much trauma and so much pain and stuff I needed that task so I was like okay if I have this to do I have this to do I can stay busy I can do this I can do that I don't have to sit and actually like like I'm yes I'm writing about them but then I don't really have to like stay in them and I want to be like I want to be okay like that was my plan is I was just gonna bypass all the pain and I was just gonna like I was going to feel it for like a minute and then I was going to be good. And I was just going to be like, all right, like I am healed now and um, I don't need to mourn this because I felt like I had honestly mourned the relationship while I was in it because I had tried to leave him for a year and I just couldn't do it. Like, because I really wanted it to work out. I thought we were going to get married, the whole thing. I didn't know how to, I didn't know what to do. You know, I was like, I became extremely depressed. I was really struggling because I live in a smaller town and especially like there's a lot of gossip that goes with living in a smaller town and everybody knew what was going on and everybody wanted to know like who am I dating now and who's he dating now and you know all this stuff yeah it was not fun and you know we live in the social media age and it was all over there and you know I um But I just tried to like keep putting one foot in front of the other. And there was a lot of times where I fell short a lot and I was very depressed and I made a lot of honestly crappy decisions. Thank God none of them were decisions about my sobriety. They were mostly men decisions, but you know, it is what it is. And during this time, I ended up realizing like how unhappy I was um, just with myself, not not even like take away my ex and all of that. I was like, I'm not happy. And what can I do to be happy? And I came back to like passion and purpose and drive and all of those things. I was working a corporate job still for um, good company. Like it was a good job. Like everything was Like, you know, on paper, that was good. I didn't go home at night 
feeling happy with myself. I didn't feel fulfilled and I felt really horrible. Something just told me like, just apply for other jobs, like apply for things, even if you don't think you qualify for them, even if you think that like, you're not going to get this just apply. So I applied for um, a nonprofit treatment center in my area that I had actually applied to before and never heard back from them. And I was like, there's no way I'm going to get this job. Like, and I don't even know what it is exactly, like all this stuff. And I actually, I, I did get a call and I was like, wow, okay. So I'm gonna go on this interview. And I go on the interview. I had no idea what even the job was that I was applying for. <laughs> I had no clue, but I went in and I knew who I was. That was the thing, I knew who I was and I knew what I stood for in my sobriety. And I was like, this is who I am. If you want me, I would love to work here. And that was like how I walked in. And when I was sitting there in the waiting room, I was looking at the walls and I was like, how many waiting rooms have I sat in just like this? Waiting for help. How many times have I sat in a chair like this and been utterly completely broken and like sick and withdrawing and all sorts of things. And today I sit here with the like gift of being able to apply for a job here. It like this light bulb came back on inside of me. And like, I felt this fire inside of me that I hadn't felt in a long, long time. And I knew I was exactly where I was supposed to be. And I walked in on this job interview and it was actually like, they had two people interviewing me and something like that would have given me such huge anxiety like I didn't even know I was going to be interviewed by two people I was like whoa it's thrown for a curve and they were like this is the director like oh like, I would have been like ah <laughs> I walked in and I was just so calm and I just told them who I was and I just knew right then and there I just knew I had the job wow. I knew it and I walked out knowing that, and I'm not that kind of person to be like, ooh, like I did a good job. Like that is not at all me. I just knew. And she called me the next day and offered me the job. And, you know, I, I took it. And I am grateful that that is like, I wake up and I get to go to work at a job that I love. Um, right. That was, that has made a huge difference in my life. Um, there has been times with having this job saved my life even though like what we do is trying to save others like this job they may not know it but they have saved my life multiple times because like just having that purpose for me saved me because I just like I didn't I didn't know where I was going I didn't know what I was doing I was so lost in grief and I had never really experienced grief before on such a magnitude that I experienced it. I experienced three losses in one and it was like, boom. And I like my entire life turned upside down. And through that whole experience of like changing jobs, realizing what I wanted to do in life, realizing that like, it's okay to not be okay. Realizing that I don't need to be perfect. Um, you know, I struggled with my eating disorder up and down still struggle with it today. And that's okay. I think it's something I will struggle with probably for the rest of my life, but it doesn't have to have like complete domain over my life. Right. Um, and I'm still learning like healthy coping mechanisms. I'm still learning how to love myself. I am learning how to 
do inner child work and go back and tell that inner child that she is worthy because like I spent so many years just abandoning her. So those are all like things that I work on and on the daily basis. And through all of that, I realized that I wanted to put a book out there about sobriety, but also about how it was okay to not be perfect in sobriety and how it was okay to literally completely like have burned your life down in sobriety, but you're still sober and like things like the sun will rise tomorrow and we can try again and like life's not over. And that was the kind of book that I wanted to put out there. And that's why I published my third book, Sick and Sober, like, because I was and have been very sick in times of my sobriety where like my mental health was very bad. And I was like, you know, well, I am sober. And yes, I was sober, but I still needed to address these other issues because like it's all about my quality of life. Um, that's something that I talk about a lot at work is like quality of life and my quality of life when I was really sick was not very good and I was not having a good time. <laughs> and I had to realize that my symptoms were a signal that like something is wrong, that like I need to address something else in my life. There's something that I feel is missing. There's like more room for me to grow, like as I feel like there always is. But yeah, it was through that experience that I was like, okay, like it's been, it had been a year since I had lost my child and since everything. And I was working at this incredible job and I knew that I wanted to put out another book and um, I wanted it to be longer. I wanted to tell more of a story and I wanted something where people could feel okay about connecting with somebody who yes, is sober, but is not perfect and has really struggled and made a mess and picked herself back up and fallen back down again and like a million and one different things. And, but that's okay. And being able to connect and see that they're not alone in that. I think that there are a lot of um, things that people put on sobriety where they feel like they have to be like this perfect role model now. And I felt like that a lot in my sobriety where I was like, I shouldn't be thinking about like having like having certain thoughts at like four years, five years. I was like, this is wrong. Like, this isn't okay. Of course it's okay. It's totally normal. Everybody's going to go through periods of bad mental health and things like that. What, what matters the most is just realizing it's temporary and that it will pass. But like, what can you do to help it pass? What can you do to like, make the most of the experience and like help others eventually like that's always been truly where I get the most healing is helping others and that's what I get to do today every day in my job I do harm reduction and because unfortunately like we don't live in the 1930s anymore and the opiate epidemic is insane and you know I want to be able to help people where they're at and hopefully get them to a place then where they're willing to seek other, you know, treatments and like AA, NA, whatever it is that works for them and get them to a place of health. I've been able to watch people come in on day one and like see that progress like months later. And it's like so amazing to be able yeah. to be like, I walked you over to detox and like, here you are standing in front of me, like, 
clean and sober, have a job, like have your relationships back. It's just amazing to be able to, like I've experienced it in my own life, but to be able to watch it, it's amazing to be able to watch miracles every day. And that's my job is to watch miracles. What do you do in your job exactly? So I, aside from like also having some clerical stuff that I do, but I am working on um, becoming a certified peer. Um, and I do a lot of peer work, which can be so many different things. Um, have another angle on things or talk to them in a way that like, you know, just help with bridging that gap. It, I'm so fortunate to work in a, with an agency that really like values peers and that lived experience and that I have coworkers that value my experience so much and really like encourage me and push me to help others and better myself too, as far as getting certified in education and all of that. Um, yeah, I would love to go back to school in the next year and um, perhaps like go for, you know, counseling for substance abuse. Um, that's where I really want to be. I want to be on the front lines. I want to help people day to day. I want to use my experience for something because it was horrific for me and for everyone involved. And if I can help just even one other person, then it'll have been worth it. Yeah. And through your Instagram, through your books, through your work, you're, you're yeah. and sometimes they say that you go through things for a reason, mm -hmm. you know, maybe that's your, your reason, you know, to, to help other, be able to help other people. Absolutely. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. So your, your third book, um, I thought the cover was interesting and the name. Can you talk a little bit about how you came to the name and the cover? So Sick and Sober, I think that, yeah, I just wanted to, you know, really, I don't know, that title just like came to me one day. Like sometimes titles are so hard to like think of. And I sometimes like, I'll be like, oh, I was on the elliptical and I'd like try to force a title and I'd be texting my friend. Well, how about this title? How about that title? And I'm like, how do I summarize like this last year? Like one of the like worst years, I would say the worst year, but also the best year of my entire life. Like, how do you even begin to summarize that? There's actually, I wrote like a foreword that was like, it's only one page, but it was like, that I said sick and sober embodies the ups and downs in the journey of recovery, that sobriety in itself is not an event. It is a mindset, is a lifestyle. And that my sobriety has ebbed and flowed over the years and changed and evolved into many things. And there were a lot of times when I was sober, but also suffering. And I really wanted to convey of an idea of what... Mm sobriety like is supposed to be versus like what it actually is and that the truth is that like we're all just human beings like that's really what it is and we're all just trying to navigate life and sometimes sometimes it's going to be good and sometimes it's going to be really really bad and it's just about finding that strength to like continue on and go forward so I thought that sick and sober just really I like I connected with that title as far as like what the last not even the last year, but the, how the last few years have been for me. And it was a way of me kind of taking my power back and being like, it wasn't perfect, but like I was sick and sober and like, that's my truth. And this book to me was like the truth of what happened. Um, because there I've spent a lot of time 
trying to convey this like persona that I wasn't, especially when I was very active in my eating disorder, you know, people would ask me like, Oh, how did you, how'd you do it? How'd you lose all that weight? And, you know, I would have to lie. And cause I didn't want to tell them the truth. Like I didn't want to tell them who I really was. And at the time I thought that people would be like, Oh my God, like, how could you? And like, you know, but really when, whenever I've been open and honest about what was really going on with me, I've really only been met with like kindness, you know, cause I, I, and I have to try to think of it as like, okay, like nothing usually is ever as bad as what I anticipate people's reactions to be. Cause I also have to think of it as like, how would I react to somebody telling me that they were suffering from an eating disorder? I'd be kind. Oh, I yeah. wouldn't be like, Oh my God, <laughs> you know? So that's yeah, like really where that book title okay. kind of came. Okay. Yeah. And I think, you know, the, what you just said with, um, you know, so many people have the same problem. So eating disorders can mean, you know, a lot of different things, you know, overeating, eating for, you know, because you're not happy, you know, it could be bulimic, anorexic, there's so many different reasons for it. And I think so many people suffer in one way or the other. And, and a lot of times they don't even know that they have a deep eating disorder. Absolutely. So that's, that's a really tough one. Do you run across that a lot at work? with people that have other addictions and they're also um, have problems with food? I've noticed not only at work, but just like being involved in AA and um, having a lot of friends in the program. Um, I would say a lot of people struggle with one form or another of eating disorder. Like mine ha is nonspecific. Um, and so I've suffered from all different forms over the years. And, um, and I know many other women and men who, who are the same, like, you know, it, it's a very, I, I think, like drug addiction, and alcohol addiction, it's um, progressive. So it sometimes can like, you know, ebb and flow from like overeating to anorexia to bulimia, just kind of like depending on what's going on in their life. And I know that for me, that's what happened for me. Um, just kind of, it transformed into different things at different times in my life. And, um, so, and, and I'd also know that when, when I was first diagnosed with an eating disorder back in like 2013 or something like that, I was overweight and I was like, I don't have an eating disorder. I don't know what you're talking about. Like I'm overweight. And they were like, you don't have to look like what the stereotypical, thing is and they were explaining this all to me and I complete that was when I understood it wasn't about what it looks like it was about my relationship with my body my relationship with food and like all sorts of things that were going on inside of me and that need for control and it was like what am I doing for that controlling of my emotions which once again also like drug addiction and there's so many um dual diagnosis I think for most people that have issues with substance abuse is it's not just substance abuse. Like that is just a symptom of the problem that manifested in that way. And so like, it's like, what is the actual root of the problem? You know, and there's just so many different mental health stuff that people have going on that they might not have even been aware of because the drugs were masking that, you know, where we weren't even able to know what mental health issues were really going on with me because I was like, you know, doing heroin and crack cocaine. So like, you know, of course my emotions and my behavior was going to be all over the place. 
So it's hard to tell like, okay, what's actually going on until you take the drugs away, until you take all those behaviors away and see like what's left. Yeah. And I think mindset, you talked quite a bit about mindset. And I think that's huge for, for any reason, you know, any mental health disorder, but I, I know it's probably a lot harder and easier to say, you know, get up and journal and write down your thoughts and, and think positive and be grateful every day for what you have. Even if it's one small thing, like you got to eat breakfast with, you know, or you have a dog or, you know, just small things that you think about to be grateful for. But I think when you're in a situation where you're, you know you're depressed and it's not so easy to have that mindset and it probably you know but it I, I truly believe in mindset and it really helps you but yeah it I'm sure in, in different situations it's not hard to, it's hard to do because you get up and like well you know I don't have anything to be grateful for you know so yeah yeah it, that's a practice it takes a lot of time I think that like at the beginning of my sobriety I would wake up and I would be like what do I have to be grateful for like even though I did have a lot to be grateful for maybe I didn't have a lot but I had a roof over my head at that point you know I had food in the fridge which I didn't have before um you know like my parents would answer the phone for me like things like that I was developing relationships so I did have a lot to be grateful for it just became and at first, like, it's complicated because there I would I would have like periods, moments where I'd be like, oh, I'm so grateful, like, I'm so grateful, and then I'd have other moments where I would be like, screw this, like I'm getting very frustrated with my situation, so I'm like becoming very ungrateful, and I think over time, it's easy for people to become complacent. Um, it becomes just kind of expected that there's food in the fridge. Like I, you know, like right. it's just yeah. kind of like, yes, I used to be homeless seven years ago. And that version of me will always like be with me. But like, as my sobriety grew, I felt further away from that, obviously. So it became like something I wasn't like putting on my gratitude list then every day. And then, you know, you become busy, life becomes life, we got jobs, we got commitments, we got all sorts of stuff. So we forget to write the gratitude list one day. And then all of a sudden, we stop writing the gratitude list altogether. And like, so the mindset ebbs and flows. But just putting in that, I think, initial work of like putting it in and knowing like what you do need to do, or like knowing that like, you can make a gratitude list, you can meditate, you can do all these things to change the mindset. So that when you are like, in those really dark moments, um, for me, like when, when my depression is really bad and I don't, I don't want to make a gratitude list. I don't want to do all those things. And sometimes I do let myself lay there for a period of time, like in the emotions that I'm going through. But usually I was like looking into something and usually an emotion, like that initial like emotion takes about 45 minutes to, to process. And then after that, I'm either experiencing a new emotion or I can also choose to prolong my emotion and choose to focus where my focus is going. Right. So it's not that like, there's not like also something chemically going on with my brain, with my depression, but I'm choosing like, I'm choosing not to get up. I'm choosing to like where my focus is going. So I do have the option of trying to, you know, reach out to somebody. I know the things that I can do. Like I've been, I've learned those things, learned those things since I was eight years old of what I can do, 
when I'm feeling really depressed, when I'm in crisis, when I'm feeling really low, I know the things that I could do. There have been times where I chose not to do any of them because I was so like, so sad, so lost in grief. Like, you know, I, <laughs> grief took my depression to another level. Um, and when I found out that my ex was having a baby with the woman he was cheating on me with, that kind of threw me for a loop. Like, you know, I was, you know, you're back in this why me mindset, but I was able to pick myself up and be like, one, let's look at the, let's look at the thing logically. Do you really want to have, like, do you, are you really like wanting to be with this person who is capable of doing these things to you? No. Like, what are you really mourning? Are you mourning him or are you mourning like this idea of a life that you wanted? That could still be yours if you like, you know, but just maybe not on my time. So like in that particular instance, I, you know, it was a very dark period of time for me. I was very heartbroken, but once again, I have women in my life that literally came to my door to check on me to make sure I was okay. And I was able to be like, okay, like I can reach out to my sponsor. I can go to meetings. I can um, do some self-care, you know, yeah. do some fun stuff. Sometimes one of the bigger things of this year was also learning that like, it's okay to have fun. It's okay to like prioritize having fun because like, why are we here on earth? Like, you know, like we're not here just to like mindlessly work and like, you know, just yeah. we got to have fun. We got to see the point in living mm -hmm. and like, having fun and joy and excitement and all of those things, like huge things for me. And I'm like, yes, work is important. And it's important for me to have a good work ethic and be a responsible member of society. But like, I spent so many years not having fun and being miserable. Like I'm going to have fun today and I'm going to enjoy my life. And I'm going to like pass that on to, you know, hopefully my children someday and, and also be able to like give it to the people around me of like, let's experience joy and happiness together. Because like that mindset, that mindset, I can, I can remember those moments in the dark moments and be like, okay, like this is, this is what I'm, this is what I'm getting through this moment for. I'm getting through this moment and I'm not alone either. My girlfriends and I, like when one of us is having a problem, like we all come together. And I think it's really important for people to find that tribe yeah. that those people that in their life that are there for them through thick and thin, because like when push comes to shove, like I needed them and I needed them like, to love me before I like knew how to love myself. Granted, people are people and people are gonna fall short and people are not always gonna answer the phone for you. So I had to also make sure that I got right with me. And that was also like a spiritual thing. Um, I had to learn how to be okay and get through those dark moments, sometimes alone. And that's changing my mindset doing all the things we just talked about. So those were very important things. Okay. And that's one of the reasons I started this podcast, living your best yeah. life. And, you know, it's about living your best life longer. So more healthy life, but also yeah. fun. So what would you say for people that are like, well, what do I do for fun? What is fun? What can you give us an example of what you consider fun? It might not be, you know, because we're not going to all go out like, 
kayaking or on vacations or whatever. So what, what would fun be? Yeah. I mean, I definitely struggled with that when I first got sober, I was like, the fun's gone. Like what is fun? And that's something that I try to, I run, um, a group sometimes. And I try to even talk about that, like having fun in sobriety. Some of the things that I like to do for fun now are like game nights. I love game nights. We just like have fun and make fun of each other a little bit and like, you know, <laughs> order a pizza, you know, whatever we want to do. And now most of my friends have kids. So the babies are sitting there crawling around while we're trying to oh, wow. figure stuff out, but it's fun. It's fun to be with the people that I care about. Um, I like to do that. I also found out that I like to go kayaking. Like I like to get outside. I like to hike, you know, those things are fun to me. And, you know, I, I do have fun shopping and, you know, going to movies and, you know, coffee shops, bookstores, things like that, you know, and if you don't have like a big, you know, sometimes I'm like, okay, I'll have a little bit more of a budget and I can, uh, you know, I'll plan for like a little day trip or, you know, a vacation or something. But a lot of times, like I want to have fun, but I want to do it on a budget. So it's like finding like a botanical garden or um, a park or just really getting out in nature. That's like a good thing for me or you know, playing a game at home or, you know, whatever. But there are plenty of ways to have fun for free. Because um, I think that was a huge thing for me. Like in the beginning, I'd be like, how am I supposed to have fun? I don't have any money. But there are plenty of ways to have fun on a budget. Yeah. And it's funny that you said, you know, coffee shop and bookstore, because that might not be a, a thing that people think about when they think about fun. But I think it's a mindset. Like when you go into a coffee shop, are you just running into getting your cup cup of coffee and, and taking off and going to work because you need to get, you know, wake up? Or are you going to the coffee shop? And I mean, and, and really looking around the coffee shop, because most of them are kind of comfortable and, you know, yeah. maybe sit down with a book or, you know, check your emails while you're there. So you can experience, you know, you get that experience. Same with the bookstore. But yeah. I think, I think, you know, thinking about those small things like that are huge. They are. And I think like changing the mindset about it is just like, it's everything. I literally did that yesterday. I went with my friend to a coffee store shop and then we, we found this like used bookstore nearby and you walk in and it's literally like, I felt like I was walking into the nineties and it was amazing. <laughs> I was like, I miss this. Like I miss being able, I used to do that with my friend in high school. We would go to either Blockbuster or a bookstore yeah. and we would just, browse around for hours and it was so and have a coffee and it's just being present in the moment I think that like my whole life I've either been looking back or looking forward and just having a really hard time being in the moment but when I'm present in the moment and able to just laugh and have fun and smell the coffee like like notice things like you know smile at the person coming in the door like you just feel more like a part of humanity and you mm -hmm. just feel like I don't know how to explain it exactly, but I just feel like myself and I just feel better than versus when I go in and I'm just looking down and I'm like thinking about the past or what do I need to get done or being anxious about something or worrying like that doesn't get me anywhere. Like worrying is suffering twice. So and I've learned that so many times over and over and over again. But when I'm present in the moment, that's when life really happens.
Yeah, I was at uh, Home Goods. This has been a while ago, but I was walking through the store and it's my favorite store. Yes. <laughs> and, and there's this girl and she has on a really cute, I love fashion and she has on a really cute pair of boots and she, you know, she's dressed really nice and she has a cup of coffee and she, you know, I'm like going through the store pretty quick and she's just taking her time looking at stuff. And I'm like, she's having a, you know, she's living her life. She's having a great day. You know, she's just taking her time. She's got her coffee. She's relaxed. She looks really cute. You know, so, you know, just made me think of fun different, you know, and, yeah. and living your life different. I mean, she was having a good day. So, it, you know, it doesn't have to be all the, the other stuff. Just get up and get dressed and, you know, yeah. go somewhere and just put on a nice you know, outfit. Like, do you like it makes you feel better? It does. I did that like when, when I got single and I was like, well, now what? You know, yeah. I, looked in the mirror and I was like well what version like who do I want to be and how can I show up as that version of myself and like what does she dress like what does she talk like like all these things and so I started with what does she dress like because that was like a good place to start so I started dressing you know a little bit differently honestly and I started putting more effort into um what I wanted versus like what I thought in the past like my partner had wanted or honestly for a long time my attire became very like just it was it it, it conveyed my depression like you right. know I was <laughs> not happy so I just wore a lot of like stuff that really conveyed how unhappy I was and I wasn't really putting a bunch of effort into it but I do also love fashion it's something that is just a good way of expression so yeah. uh, I just I got into that a little bit more and just definitely being able to take your date yourself. You know what I mean? Somebody like told me that I should take myself on dates. I started buying myself flowers. Oh, that's um, great. I love fresh flowers. And I'm mm -hmm. like, I'm not just going to wait for a guy to buy them for me. I want them for myself. And they, I honestly don't even like it that much when guys buy me flowers. Cause <laughs> I'm just like, I would like rather buy them for myself. Um, <laughs> like having them in my home. Cause I think that flowers, Flowers a universal sign of being able, like just universal like happiness. It's yeah, just it's, exactly. nobody who like you know hates a flower. So yeah, it was just little stuff like that that I did for me. It became like a routine, and a routine was really important for me, um, especially when I was going through everything that I was going through, and I was single, and I was spent a lot of nights alone and I didn't know, you know, it was that mindset of being like, at first it was like, Oh, I have to sit here alone. Like I'm so lonely. It sucks. Everyone else has a family. Like I'm so sad versus I get to sit in my home that I've created a safe space for myself. I get to rest and relax after a hard days of work. And like, I get to experience like joy and comfort that is my own like love language to myself. Yeah. And I think it does. It makes a huge difference just to, to get up and, and put on something nice and take care of yourself. And even if you're not going anywhere, you feel better about yourself when you get up. Oh, yeah. 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 Well, Ali, I thank you so much for yeah. um, being on the podcast again. This has been great. And I'm, yeah. I'm so happy for you. I, I see you on Instagram and Facebook. And yeah, I can tell you love fashion because you always look great. Thank <laughs> you. Yeah. I think your books are amazing and that what you're doing with your job and the book, you know, writing books and Instagram and having, you know, all the people 
reading some of your stuff and knowing what you went through and how you can help them. And, and they can see where you're at now and see how much better you are. And they have something to look forward to. Absolutely. Thank you so much. It's been a pleasure. And I just, you know, I hope that if anyone is struggling, that they'll reach out because it does get better. It really does. Yeah. And, and I'll put your links um, yeah. to your books and um, Instagram and, and everything on the uh, show notes. Thank you for taking your time to listen to the Lively Joy podcast. Check out the show notes below with links mentioned in this episode. And please take a moment to subscribe. That helps others find the show. Feel free to share this podcast with your family and friends. And if you'd like, you can also follow us on social media. See the links below. We really appreciate it. And we'll see you next time with more on living your best life.